Um, my name is Anna Mata. I'm one of the news editors for the Daily Trojan for the semester. Um, and I'm here with Jose Richard Aviles, a USC alum who's a dancer, choreographer, writer, um, everything in between. Uh, today we're going to talk about the intersection of art and social justice a bit, the power of movement, and then also your new published work that I just saw. That's so exciting. Um, <laughs> this is Jose. Sorry, este, muy buenas tardes, buenos días, good afternoon. I was just like hearing me like, Anna, thank you. That's so dope, the way you described it. But yes, so I do all of those things. My name is Jose Richard Aviles, dancer, writer, apparently, desmadrosa, callejera. Um, and just, I just want to be known as like your tia de South Central. <laughs> um, I am an alum from the class of 2019. Um, I went to USC to do uh, a dual degree. So I have a, a master's of social work and a master's of urban planning. I am an alum also of the Leslie and William McMorrow Neighborhood Academic Initiative, also known as NAI. <laughs> it's a college prep program through the university where students from the area from South Central are kind of prepped and go through a college prep program um, and then sort of are, um, you know, helped with um, financial assistance to go to USC or other university of their choice but that was a long time ago girl that was like ooh, años <laughs> so yeah can you speak a little bit to your post-secondary schooling um, like some of the involvements you had at USC and has any of that kind of like transferred with you since leaving college so I did a little bit of everything um, I was very involved uh, <laughs> uh, my first year I took a lot of dance classes all three years of grad school I was able to dance with USC Break on Two, the salsa team on campus, um, was able to lead specifically as, as captain for, the, for the, the club, which is mostly for just students who wanted to come and learn but weren't interested in performing. I was uh, the captain and the teaching artist there for two years. Um, I did TEDx USC, so I did a TED, TEDx talk on dance and the intangible heritage of the body. Um, I served as LGSA, the Latino Graduate Student Association president. Um, when was that? In 2018 and 2019. And then I think that, and I did so many other things, right? But I think another big thing that I take with me was that I was able to bring, I was the moderator, producer, director, something, I don't know, fundraiser <laughs> for this event called The Night with Patrice uh, Colors. And so Patrice Colors is one of the co-founders of Black Lives Matter. Um, and I was able to fundraise enough money and create a partnership between the School of Social Work, School of Public Policy, and the School of Architecture to come together to bring her to campus to have a conversation with me around the role of Black lives and in Los Angeles and, and, and just bigger conversations. And I, I say all those things particularly, they, they inform the way that I do work, right? Like I was given the opportunity to, though I was still in graduate school and still doing my thing, I was able to do residencies as an artist in different organizations. And so all of those experiences have I've been able to bring with me as an artist. It seems now that like my artistry is the thing that people know me for the most. And then I have to remind myself, but girl, you have two whole ass degrees, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like you're an artist and you educate it. I mean, I but what I really trying to say is you're an artist 
and you're in debt. So you're a starving artist and you're a debt student. <laughs> so I, yeah. And so I had been organizing for a long time here in LA with the Bus Riders Union and other organizations around marriage equality. Um, so I started being as a community organizer around the age of 15 or 16. So I was a wild teenager. And, you know, at this point, when I graduated was when marriage equality was a very big conversation that was happening. Well, at that point, Proposition 8 was on the ballot, right? This is in 2008, and I graduated in 2009. And Proposition 8 passes in California. So I, I think that I ended up then going to undergrad with a very cocky mentality. Like, I had been organizing for a while. Like, I'm, girl, I'm good. You know, I knew I wanted to be a social worker. It just seemed that social work was sort of like the, the professional way of becoming an activist, right? So that was always the conversation in my household. You need to go, you know, I come from parents who come with this, uh, this nightmare and bullshit that I call the American dream, right? Like, if you're listening, I just want you to know, brown folks, that the American dream is a construct of white supremacy. Do not let your dreams be influenced by white supremacy. That's another topic. <laughs> I'm just like snap, snap. <laughs> um, but you know, so they wanted me to be financially secured. They, you, how many times have you not heard the comment? Para qué vine este país? Para que estuvieras en las calles ahí protestando? Like, why did I come to this country so you'd be out there protesting? And I'd be like, Mom, but they're taking our rights away. You know, like that's who I've always been. So becoming a social work student for undergrad made sense. So that happened. And then I just ended up taking a dance class. And I was like, this is what I want to do and love to do. And I fell in love. And, and, and that was the place where I got to be an artist. You know, in South Central, we, don't, we never had access to, to the arts in the way that it was there in undergrad. So I was like, why not? And so I, I went back to graduate school when I knew that that's what I wanted to do. And then hence, all the other opportunities came around because I was very strategic as opposed to thinking I have nothing else to do. This is my last option. I tried that. Oh, I didn't apply, but like that's how I thought about grad school before. And it wasn't a healthy place to be in. So this time around, it was like, girl, que venimos a, tra a, a trabajar y a triunfar. And we did. <laughs> I love watching your Monday de Movimientos pieces on Instagram. Uh, can you tell me a little bit more about like where that came from and like where does that value and like <laughs> come from? Monday de Movimiento. There was this one day, I think it was during grad school, I went to go, I went social dancing. And I, I just remember coming back and one being tired, like my body was tired, but girl, I had all this joy and I was like full of it and energy and ready to go. For me, it's like, I can, I really pray to my spirits that I died dancing because at least I know that I died happy. And I remember coming back from that social dancing and being like why was I what was I feeling before this right like what was I don't know what I was going through my mind maybe I was just okay I don't know but it was something that like being in this constant state of euphoria and not having experienced that before that I was like you know what I never want to go back to not feeling this feeling so let me create opportunities for myself to always dance and always feel and so then I think that Monday, hashtag the, the hashtag Monday de Movimiento was born. And it was just a way to share dance. Be like, I'm just going to dance. I'm just going to do my thing. And all of a sudden, you know, it became a little thing. And it was like, you're discovering how to do it. Like, you challenge, is this a challenge? You challenge other people to send you your videos. And then it just became a post. And literally, 
I've been doing this now for a year and two months and I did not know this. Like somebody, literally someone in my comments was like, girl, happy one year anniversary of Money de Movimiento. I was like, what you mean? Like it's become this thing that a year later, finally people are recognizing it. But I think it's because I've always been consistent, right? Mm-hmm. And I tell people, especially during this time in this pandemic. So girl, I thought this was going to be like a two week situation. So I was like, okay, y'all, I'm gonna get us through the weeks and I'm gonna post a Monday, Tuesday, you know, every day of the week, the movimiento, right? I was like, I'm down. Girl, I did it for, I wanna say like five to seven weeks. And I was like, oh, hell no. I got tired. I was like, I don't know, I lost it. So I went back to just Mondays. But I say that to say that during this time, um, it was really, helpful because it was my way of, of 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 reminding myself that my spirit was still good right like I tell my friends the moment you ask me to go dancing and I say no girl check in on me something's wrong so how has I guess social distancing and quarantine and this pandemic been for you like have you been able to keep up those spirits I guess I've been reconciling with the fact that a lot of my dreams are coming true during a global pandemic and there's there's privilege with that there's responsibility with that. I think I became, I worry uh, and I became a social worker because I'm a natural, I'm a natural healer. Like that's, that's my calling onto this world. And though I may be healing through therapy, I may be healing through, through chismen, this madre, and we laugh, you know, here, or I may be healing through art, like, but that I am a healer, I am a healer. And one thing that I've noticed about or, or come to realizing about being a healer is that we as healers make the commitment to be a container for other people's traumas. So what do I mean by that, right? Like me as a therapist and everything that I do, if you come to me, I know that you're coming to me to tell me about your trauma. My job is to hold it and to, and to sit here with it and to break it down with you because I don't need you to leave with more trauma than what you came in with in the first place. That's my commitment as a healer, right? But that's not to say that I don't have my own trauma. That's not to say that I'm not working and unpacking my own things. I'm just very mindful with who I share that with because I am actually a container for the rest of the world. So it's kind of, you know, kudos again to my family for having to deal me as their sibling and me as their titi and me as their child. To, to this to to my partner who has to deal with me as the person that loves them to my friend that has to deal with me with all of me because I am a lot because <laughs> they have to hold everything that I've been holding in from everybody else everybody else and so it's it's been an interesting realization and I'm about to turn 30 girl like I'm having these whole like oh my god like I low-key now feel like a senora like oh it's it's a lot <laughs> sure um I think you kind of talked about this, but can you speak more to like your engagement or I guess like relationship with your social media presence? How do you engage with that? Do you want that platform? Um, it's it's been it's been something else. I like I have friends who I follow who have blue check marks and stuff and people. It's it's been a lot. Um, again, I think that there is a very particular thing that is happening that my dreams are coming true in the middle of a global pandemic if there's one thing I have in abundance love so this is the 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 tweet post that went viral I said when you grow up poor you realize that you that love is the only currency you'll never run out of 
I love this hard because I don't know I can offer anything else. And so I think about that. I mean, Juan Gabriel said it first, no tengo dinero ni nada que dar, right? Solo tengo amor para dar. I don't have nothing but love to give. And it's true, like, that's just who I am. I love life. I love people. I love my friends, partners, like whomever. I just, I, I don't know. It's love is the thing that just comes out of my body and my energy and my spirit. And I think that during this time, people really want that. And, and so I just get to be me. And it's interesting. The one thing I am handling, it's like, girl, like, again, most of my life has been about being too much, too brown, too femme, too queer, too fat, too like, loud, whatever you want to call it. And now all of a sudden, like, I've worked very hard to reframe that and say, nah, bitch, not enough. I'm not enough fat. I'm not enough brown. All those things, right? Like, I'm not those things. And at the same time, like, I find it very hard to process compliments and to process love. Like, I know how to give love, but receiving love, I'm like, ooh, <laughs> ooh, what's that, you know? So I'm learning to, to process that. I'm learning to say thank you. Um, I'm learning to create boundaries, um, not because I never, never want to engage, like, anything like this, like, you know, any any community in South Central needs something from me, I show up. Like, hell yeah, I'm gonna make time for my community, right? Like, that's that's why I'm here. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about Simia? Um, I just saw your post that it's like officially in print and everything. Like, how has that been? Let me read to the back because the back is beautiful. Simia was intended to be a double entendre. Get it, Simia, see? <laughs> uh, yeah, Simia was intended to be a double entendre but a cheap pun was not enough to say what I really felt. Semilla is a love letter to myself, my wounds, to harm, both received and inflicted. Following the seasons, we explored lust, love, change, and pain. Semilla becomes a reflection of the seeds I have planted throughout my life and their outcomes. I hope you enjoy these pages and find a place of comfort embedded in the lines. Espero que se reconozcan a través de leer estas palabras. Semilla es una fusión entre la relación que tienen las lenguas materna y ajena. <laughs> so it's, it's bilingual, um, but I don't directly translate what I say in English to what I say in Spanish to create this other level of understanding, right? This other complexity. I am very complex. And so, so yeah, so Semilla is that. And right now we're getting ready for... Okay, this is like a shameless plug, so you can put this in there. Um, I just started well, a GoFundMe called the Semilla Performance Fund because I don't know if I'll be able to sign these books or put on a performance. So I'm fundraising $5,000. We hit the $2,000 mark this morning. And I was like, girl, we still got like two months. So I think I can make the $5,000. And basically the Semilla Performance Fund is going to all, um, all the costs or the money is going to go to the cost of producing this. And we are making it in the theme of a quinceañera because I turned 30 this uh, in 20, January 5th of 2021. And you know, that's a doble quince, right? Mm -hmm. And like, I'm like, oh, hell yes. I came out in like 15 quinceañeras and never had my own. So I'm going to have a doble quince. And then I was like, girl, but a quinceañera is to celebrate a rite of passage, right? From a childhood to adulthood why can't this be my rite of passage as an artist? I want to celebrate that I become this artist, that this book is here, that this performance is here. Girls, I'm going all out. Yeah, and so how did you like know that you wanted to get into this? I feel like you're 
doing a lot of different things. How are you balancing all of that? Girl, so Wednesdays is my day off uh, for my day job, but it's actually my day that I do all of my other art stuff. So whatever, meetings, interviews, I'm in, I'm interviewing an intern a little later and an intern, right? Like, so I, I'm finding the balance, but again, I love my work. I'm just being very mindful that it's still one body. You know what I mean? Like my mind is like the mind of a thousand bodies, but I am only one body on earth. And so I, I'm learning to say no to things. I'm learning to balance things out. The, the beautiful thing is that like as an artist, sometimes the ideas that come to your mind, they stay here. They, girl, I sick lavad, and you're just like, oh, I can't get it out of my mind. And then all of a sudden you hear a song and you're like, oh, that song would be perfect for this image that I thought about five years ago. So the, the art is still there. I write the ideas in a notebook, in the phone, and there's always a place to come and, and they're born, right? Like Semilla, the poem was born before I knew that the project was going to happen. Um, and then the project came with it. And there are moments and times for sure. I think one thing I've learned now as an artist, as a, as a practicing professional artist, right? As of before where I wasn't getting paid for my work, but deadlines are real. Um, that you are not going to create a masterpiece every time you write something you just have to get it done and you have to like work at it and you, it's, it's, it becomes a craft. And at one point you just learn to let go of your art because you just hope that one person will feel, will feel the work that you're saying. The joy that I get from, from these conversations, from the random message, from the thank you so much to the, that will always outweigh the, the arduous work that goes behind it. Like there's, there's work that goes behind being an artist, but it's not labor, if that makes sense. Um, just making sure we cover this, can, can you talk a little bit more about like the work that you have done and I guess maybe are like most proud of in South Central and like through your social work and urban planning? The proudest thing I've done, I think right now in this immediate life is moving back home. <laughs> um, and I say that to say, because I think coming from South Central, we're told all the time, at least I was, that success is leaving the hood, right? That you make it, that you made it out of the hood. And I just remember thinking to myself, well, what about the people who stay behind? Because my parents stayed behind, like, what about my siblings? What about my cousins? I, I, I can't do that. And, and I think you know, I did leave the hood. I went to undergrad in Minnesota, was gone for six years, and I came back. And I think when I came back, I, I came back um, loving and rediscovering the city as I had when I was growing up here. You know what I mean? Like, I left for six years. I've been back now for five. And I'm coming to that place where I got to rediscover LA as an adult. Do you want to talk about anything else in relation to like the intersection of all the things you do um, or anything even? So, um, so recently, let me tell you this little story, right? So I got a bunch of roles coming at me for um, a couple of things. And it's specifically our Latinx, Chicanx, brown folks who came in at me. And let me tell you why. So I posted, I do these things called sabiyashke, which are just like these little situations, right? And I posted this term that was like sabiyashke. 
Hispanic is a term used to describe people from the Iber Iberian Peninsula, Hispania, Hispaniola. I mean, that's where the term comes from. And I was like, bitch, I know from not there, so do not call me Hispanic. I already speak the colonizer's language. <laughs> and people were like, oh my God, Hispanic brother. And like, oh my, I was like, girl, hell no. The other thing that happened was then I posted this other tweet that said, the next time we, you say abolish ICE, remember that it was a Black woman who stood up and called them out, right? And so we have to be in defense of Black lives. A lot of people came at me for that as well. And then they started fighting between themselves in the comments. I think that's when I realized I had become something else. When people start fighting each other on the comments and you just sit back and like eat popcorn, you're like, oh, dang, like what's going on? And the reason that started happening is because the conversation was around a couple of things, right? Like folks being like, we have been talking about abolishing ICE for a long ass time, but the moment a Black woman says it, like people start caring. And I was like, oh, like, yo, I was like, I don't need to be, it's not about me, right? But at one point, a part of me was like, I was here with the Day Without a Mexican March in 2005. Were you out there marching in 2005? Like, I, you know, I have been about this game for a long time, but it's not about me, right? The conversation here is when we talk about race capitalism and particularly, right, as I mentioned in the Latinx Heritage Month speech, we have to be very mindful because we are also going to think about survival. How many, how many brown Latinx um, ICE officers we have out there? How many brown Latinx police officers we have out there? Ain't nobody standing up to their police departments and their institutions talking about Black Lives Matter because we're going to say we have to survive. No, it's not about that anymore. So for me in particular, I guess this is something new that I'm discovering is that before I will always say that my work has been rooted in anti-racism, like always. I mean, yes, I am a person of color. But I think in the last year, have I sat down to really shift my understanding from anti-racism to pro-Blackness? And why do I say that? Because I am brown. <laughs> like, I, I am brown. Like, I, I, don't, I don't identify with Hispanic at all. I am starting to less identify with Latino or Latinx even, I understand that Latinx in the X and in, in gender, and it's there to acknowledge non-binary and like siblings, right? La Joteria, yes, all about that. So I'm about to use Latinx for those purposes, but truly how I identify is brown. And it's only because the color of my skin is brown. <laughs> you know, like I, and, and, and I specifically say that because how many times have I heard Ponte bronceador para que no te pongas más negro. Put on sunblock so you don't get more black, implying that our proximity to blackness is bad. The, the anti-blackness that is, exists in Latinx culture is so deep. So if your Latinx doesn't come with an anti-blackness, a, a pro-blackness rhetoric, I don't want it. No, thank you. All of our music from the Latin from the from Latin social dance come through us through the African diaspora. Salsa, merengue, bachata, cumbia, punta, soca. I mean, with the exception of Mexican regional music, that's German, that's another topic. But all of these rhythms come to us through the African diaspora. And we know that, the, that through the transatlantic slave trade, most of the, most of the enslaved folks were, were, were sent to everywhere else but America. Like you have Piel Morena, indígena and you have your your afro descendientes 
in every country. Y el que dice que no, baby, you're in denial. You're starting to sound like a white supremacist. Like, I, I just no longer here for that. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not here anymore for, um, for brownness and Latinxness that is like, well, what about us? And we need a piece of the pie. Girl, if you really want to talk, what about us? You need to be healing your settler colonialism. You need to heal with the, with the Spaniard ancestors that we have in us. Like people, somebody told me like, well, we all are mestizos. We have spent, you know, Spanish ancestors. And I was like, yeah, I see you and I denounce you. I renounce you. My lineage is not going to come through your part of my blood. Hell no. I am here to heal with my indigenous work, right? So if you all of a sudden are claiming indigeneity también, do you, have you talked to Tongva folks who are here? Have you done something to, to uh, you know, to defend land, to defend water? We don't got time for land acknowledgements anymore. We need land protection. I, I guess, I guess what I'm saying all that to say is that as a brown person and as a non-black person of color, I have to sit with the fact that I am also in proximity to white supremacy as much as I understand anti-blackness via colorism, right? So I'm in the in-betweens. So for me, as a brown person, I understand anti-blackness via colorism and how it's impacted me as someone with piel morena and a brown and brown skin. And at the same time, I acknowledge that I have privilege as a non-black person of color in the context of this country. So it's sitting between like, nah, I need to literally be pushing for more pro-blackness because the liberation for black people is literally liberation for all of us. Yeah, definitely. Um, I guess just following up, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but like, how do you share your brown pride, Latinx pride without, you know, like kind of diving too deep or too close to those like very typical capitalistic um, tropes, I guess. Can I read you a poem? I have a poem that talks about that, but it's in Spanish. Go for it. I would love to hear. Okay. Un poema de mi nuevo libro. So stupid. This is called Torogos. It's the national bird of El Salvador. I am half pupusa, half taco. El Salvador is a country I've never known. El Salvador is a country that lives more in my veins than it does in my gender expression. Like the Torogos, I take flight without looking. But when I've flown too high and I've flown too far, I instinctively fly back to where I nest your heart. See, I will never know the smells of El Salvador. Nunca conoceré sus olores, pero conoceré el sabor del queso al escurrirse de la pupusa. Nunca conoceré sus bosques, pero conoceré el verde del oroco, del berro. Nunca conoceré su conexión, pero siempre conoceré pan con chumpipe, panes rellenos en la Navidad. Nunca conoceré su patria, pero siempre conoceré el sombrero azul, tiñado de sangre con estrellas que iluminan. Nunca conoceré su música, pero siempre conoceré el guiro, los hermanos flores, la sonora dinamita, Aniceto Molina. Nunca conoceré cómo sentarme, pero sí entiendo sentate. No sabré cómo ver, pero sí entiendo mira, vení, bichito, cipote. No conoceré su tierra, pero siempre conoceré su honor. No conoceré el pulgarcito de América because only yesterday I discovered that pulgar was thumb. I never knew that El Salvador looked like a thumb. I've always, I'm always perplexed by my ability to code switch in the same tongue, whether it was a cinturón or the cincho, 
whether it was sentate or siéntate. I never knew when to shut up because I had to decipher between callate y callate. I knew two bitches, hijo de puta and juen la gran puta. And if that didn't work, juen la gran puchica. El Salvador lives in my veins. I will, I will always know that Toro was anchored yet free, sentado aunque quiera volar. Y cuando huele muy alto y cuando huele muy lejos, regresaré al nido, El Salvador que vive en mi corazón. Yeah, and so basically that piece was exactly that. I've never visited El Salvador, um, but there's something so much about that culture that I understand. And, and again, I, I will not know it smells, but I will definitely know the smell of the cheese as it melts outside of a pupusa. You know what I'm talking about when that look with the cheese crust and oh girl, like I will not understand the greenery of its forest, but I will know the green of berro, right? Of loroco. Um, I don't know these fiestas and these musics, but I know that the Guido and Aniceto Molina, like these things that I grew up with that are so reminiscent of the culture that my parents or my dad brings, it, it's still a part of me. And so I think about those things, right? There's, I always say there's something about the Guido, something about the like that. Ooh, that's home. You know, I, the, the, the thing comes up and you're like, and you're like, cumbia, hey, chicana. <laughs> if you want to share anything else, that's also cool. But I think that was like a perfect end to what I thought was a really great interview. So I am doing a performance, a performance art piece on November 1st. I still don't know the time yet. We have to figure out some details um, called El Camino de Vermont or The Way of Vermont. And basically, um, I identify as a bus rider, right? And I've grown up riding the bus my entire life. I mean, I was part of the bus riders union. And during the globe, this, this quarantine, I haven't written the bus for two reasons. And they're both rooted in privilege. One, the privilege that I can work from home. And the second, the privilege that I have an able body so I can bike places or walk places. But there's still folks who have relied on public transit this whole time. And I wanna honor them and say thank you. So I'm doing a performance art piece where I'm walking the entire bus route of the 754 bus, the bus that goes on Vermont. So from 120th in Vermont all the way to Vermont and Sunset, for it's 12 miles. And I'm gonna do this performance art piece where I'm gonna walk the entire thing as a way of saying thank you, as a pilgrimage. So say thank you to people who have been riding the bus and and to the fact, and to more in the bus rides that I couldn't take, right? And, and the fact that there have been pedestrians who have been murdered by police, by traffic. Um, and as a way of saying, thank you, I'm gonna do this performance called El Camino de Vermont. So if you are close to Vermont and wanna walk with me, you can follow me at Soy Nalgona. <laughs> Stupid. My handle is at Soy Nalgona, S-O-Y-N-A-L-G-O-N-A -A, uh, on Instagram. And you can follow me there for more information about this performance <gasps> and for the quinceañera. Yes. <laughs> That's so cool. Thank you for plugging that. Thank you so much for talking with me. I appreciate it. Of course.